Each week as you come in, you're able to pick up a little sheet that looks like this. And today's sheet says midterm exam. Doesn't that sound fun? We're going to talk about that this morning. Let's uh, stand to our feet. We're going to read God's word together. I'm getting, you, getting your exercise in this morning. Up on your feet one more time. And we're going to read from the book of John, which is where we're preaching, and we're going to read from verse number 15 to 21, a rather short passage this morning, and uh, let's look at it together. The words are up on the screen, and we will read all of these verses together out loud, and let's begin now. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. And so when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. There is our walking on water uh, story from the scriptures episode in Jesus' life. There are parallels to this passage in Matthew 14, 22 to 33, and Mark 6, 45 to 52. And in the sermon, I'm going to kind of combine the elements. Some, things, some of them emphasize one point, some another. And we're going to look at this uh, today, and we're going to look at it from this point of view of the midterm exam for the disciples of Jesus. How many of you are true followers of Jesus? You love him, you believed him, and you want to follow him with all your heart. You know, in our lives, we're going to be examined. We're going to have an examination. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for this crowd that has come to get together today to hear the word of God preached, to glorify your name, to give their offerings for the propagation of the gospel. And Lord, we just thank you for this gathering. Thank you for the church. It is your plan for reaching the world, the church, and the local New Testament churches. Thank you for this church and for the gathering of the saints. Bless us now, and we really want to hear from you. Add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So let me jump right into it. By divine design, John recorded seven signs in his gospel to identify Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, God, uh, it says many times in the scriptures, had not been seen by anyone. The Bible even says he dwells in inapproachable life, light and no, nobody can look right at him and survive. Uh, but uh, God had not been seen. But that changed with the incarnation. That is when Jesus put on human flesh. We've already studied it, but let's rehearse it. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Jesus himself is going to say it again differently. In John 14, 9, he's going to say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And as we, as we meet each of these signs in John's gospel, uh, the, amazing as they are, the signs are really not the point. 
they are the they are signs that signify something else. They are not the point, but they do point. They point to something or someone else. They point to Jesus, and they signify that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the King, and it's, it's totally correct to call Jesus King Jesus in your life. He is the King of my life. Is he the King of your life? Amen. He is the King, and it's right to support, uh, to call him King of our life. Now, they also say something to us. They tell us something about Jesus. They tell us something about the Father, but they also say something to us right now. Jesus, uh, we can learn from these signs of the first one. We can learn that he is the source of unending joy, and he proved it when he turned the water into wine. And then Jesus is never far removed from our problems and our situations in life because he healed the nobleman's son at a great distance. He was where he's never far away from us. And then Jesus is not limited by how long we have been paralyzed by our sin or our sickness. You see, he raised a paralyzed man who had been in that condition for 38 years and he did it on the Sabbath. And, um, you know, I'll just pause and say he can raise, uh, he can raise your marriage to life again too if that's a problem in your, he can raise anything to life. He can raise your courage. He can raise your spirits. He can raise you. He can. Jesus has the ability. And if we know him and we walk with him, he can do it. Jesus can do something. We're learning these in the signs. Uh, Jesus can supply our need with little resources or no resources at all. How do we know that? Well, he took a sack lunch and he fed 5,000. We talked about that last week. Jesus has no limits. Aren't you glad our God is not dependent on the local economy? Uh, Jesus is, he is able. Now there's much more in each episode. And as we unpack them, we talked about them. Now we come to the fifth sign. Uh, the fifth one, and um, I was going to preach a longer passage this morning, but since this is one of the signs, I said, you know, I'm going to just, I'm going to park here and we're going to look at this and make sure we get it. This fifth sign follows right on the heels of the fourth sign. There's no explanation of the fourth. There's going to be, it's coming up next as we're in this life essential section of the book. Uh, Jesus is going to go right on now and he's going to give a sign directly to the disciples. The, the, the disciples had been observers of the signs done for the benefit of others. They had seen Jesus do things, perform signs and miracles for other people. Uh, this time, his sign and his miracle is directly to them. You know, followers of Jesus need Jesus' demonstration of power in our life on a regular basis too, don't we? And this is exactly what we see. They had received some lessons from Jesus regarding his identity, his power, and his authority. They had even participated. They'd been participants in the last miracle, the last sign, because they participated in the food distribution event that was an extraordinary miracle mentioned in all four gospels. They had received lessons, but now it was time for an examination. It's kind of like a midterm exam. Now, these disciples are followers. They're learners. They're following Jesus around. It's on-hand learning. Uh, Jesus is demonstrating. He's talking. He's teaching. He's doing. They're watching him. They are to learn to imitate him, do what he does. That's what a disciple does. So it's time for a midterm exam. That's the hard part. You remember being in school. 
and uh, you know the midterms, and you know the finals are coming up. And when we were in school, we all could cruise through the lectures, and we could cruise through the lessons, and then class participation was usually pretty fun. But uh, there's always an exam in front of us, and uh, this is the situation. Have we been listening in class? Are we taking notes? Is there a mental note? Are we learning? Well, the exam will reveal it. And the disciples, they had been watchers. They watched the worry of the host at the wedding. They watched and observed the pleading of the nobleman for his son and how Jesus answered. They saw the deplorable state and hopelessness of the paralytic. And then they saw the hunger of the multitude. They saw this external, from the external viewpoint of view, they saw these other people that were in need. Now, this time they're not observers. They are the subject of the sign miracle. What is the exam? Here it is. A storm. Storms come to everyone. Is that true or not? How many of you have either been in a storm, going through a storm, or you expect one's right on the horizon? Just raise your hand. Storms. <laughs> storms. Well, it's not a question of if, folks. It's a question of when we go through storms. Jesus is not surprised when storms come to us. Let me ask you a question. Do you suppose that Jesus loved his disciples, yes or no? Did he love them? Well, did he have plans for their future? Was he going to do something with these disciples? Yes or no? Yeah, he was. Did, um, uh, were they really going to be key players in the grand scheme of launching the church and they're going to write scripture, they're going to launch the church? Are they, are they really, are they really integral? Are they really important to the grand scheme of God in the future? Yes or no? Well, then are you surprised that he put them through such risk? This storm, they were going to go into it. They are going to be part of the drama of evangelism explosion on the planet. The answer to all of those questions is yes, yes, and yes. Why in the world would he let, would he let them experience such danger, such fear, and such panic? Well, there's a reason. They have been learning about Jesus' power, authority, and kingdom, but now they need to really learn personally and they need to learn to trust him. Trust him. He started this kind of thing by saying to Philip, I know what you're thinking. You're not going to be able to figure feeding out, feeding 5,000 people and plus their families. You're not going to be able to figure that out on your own, but I'll let you go ahead and try to figure it out. But what you need to do is really trust me and look to me. I want to say this, that we are not called as believers to simply play safe in life. We are not, we are not called to avoid all risk. We celebrating today and Pastor Marty led us in prayer for Christians around the world who are dying for their faith, suffering for their faith, losing all for their faith. They are, some are, some are pastors, some are evangelists, some are just ordinary Christians, but they won't recant. And if they do recant, oh my soul, the damage to the cause of Christ. But listen to this, we are not called as believers to play safe, to avoid risk, to keep our head down and to be quiet. We are called to face it with Jesus. Is that true? Amen. Of course it is. Here's some general observations from the passage and that is this, is that Jesus sent them sailing. 
Jesus sent them on this, on this boat trip. He made his disciples, according to Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side when he sent the multitude away. So let's think about this for a moment. The one that turned water into wine, that healed the nobleman's son, that raised the paralytic and fed the 5,000 with a sack lunch, asked them to do what they are already experts at doing, sailing. Most of them were sailors, and he sent them on what appeared to be a very gentle journey. They were experts at sailing. In fact, most of them earned their living on a daily basis out there on that water. So when he said, get in the boat and go across to the other side, even if there were storms, and they knew, but they were ready to handle these things because they had done it so many times. Well, God's plan for us sometimes includes more than what we would plan for ourselves. God's, let me say that again. Sometimes God's plan for us in our lives for preparation purposes and for testing and for examinations, he plans things that we would never plan for ourselves. How many of you have been through things that you wish or that you would not have planned to have to go through? How many of you have been through stuff like that, but you came out on the other side stronger? Just raise your hand. See, this is what we're seeing in this passage. Um. In his book, A Bend in the Road, Dr. David Jeremiah found out in a routine physical that he had a mass on his spleen, which is the filter of the lymphatic system, so the whole lymphatic system was in danger. During that time, he was very full of faith and fear. The the book is amazing. In it, he talks about storms in life, unexpected bends in the road, and he quotes Spurgeon in that book who said this, those who navigate little streams and shallow creeks know little of the God of tempests, but those who do business in great waters see his wonders in the deep. Among the huge Atlantic waves of bereavement, poverty, temptation, and reproach, we learn the power of Jehovah because we feel that we are the limitless little man. We understand whenever we have great trials. Spurgeon said it that way. We're in God's army. He's preparing us for battle. Battle is difficult. It's, diff- it's a difficult adventure. Men and women that are, they are thankful for the difficult training they receive to be soldiers uh, once they really need it. Many of the recruits that join the armed forces join for personal reasons. We hear about the advertisements all the time. Personal reasons, personal freedom, to see the world, to get help with college. But the main objective of the preparation is to be ready for battle. In his book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, Lieutenant Harold Moore tells of his time in Vietnam. He was landing in a helicopter among live fire and mortars to carry out a prisoner to carry out a prisoner for interrogation. Now get this, there were 1,600 Viet Cong to 150 Marines. And here's what he said in his book. He said that all of the training and preparation now had tremendous meeting because he was under fire. The war had my undivided attention as the bullets flew. Preparation. Something else I want to notice about the past is Jesus sent them sailing into the storm. Jesus sent them on the mission and he sent them sailing directly into a storm. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, the storms were big. I was really afraid of them. I don't think we have to be a kid to be afraid of storms. They seem to be getting bigger and worse all the time. Uh, the, uh, Jesus, Jesus sent them into the storm, and we have to be honest, being the sovereign that he is, he sent the storm itself. Does that surprise you? Now, God wouldn't do that, would he? Well, yes, he would. 
God would do anything he needs to get us prepared for what's coming in life and for the job that he has us to do. I remember high school football. Anybody ever play high school football? I played high school football. I remember I hated August. We go to practice and we would not even see a football for two weeks. Uh, well, there wasn't a football at practice for the first day. We didn't need football for what we were going to be doing. My coach's name was Lum Farr. I have no idea why that was. I've never heard that name. L-U-M-P-H-A-R-R. Buddy, he knew how to exercise every muscle. And we had, I had muscles in my body I did not even know I had at that time. I wish they were still evident. They're not. But um, <clears throat> we ran before practice, during practice, after practice. We did every conceivable gyration to get our legs, torso, and especially our necks. And he had a way to get your neck built up. And boy, he would just do it and do it. He knew what we were in for, and we needed to be prepared for what was coming. Guess what? God knows what we're in for. Too many people think that the Christian life is just going to be this smooth sail of a cross, calm seas in life, but it's not reality. There's a storm brewing. Some of the storms are preparatory storms. These disciples are going to be living a life full of storms. We're talking about martyrdom today, and all but one of these 11 uh, it is believed died as martyrs, and the one who did not actually die was boiled in oil, and he survived. He's the one writing this. His name is John. There's a third thought before I give you three quick points this morning to carry with you. And the third, and we're just observing the passage to make sure we get everything that we can out of it. Jesus sent them sailing into the into the storm, so he could come to them. There was a message in this miracle. They needed to be confident that he would always be with them, that he would never forsake them, and that the arrival of trouble, problems, heartache, and storms in their life was not the evidence of his absence. We tend to do that. We think when troubles, problems, storms, heartaches, difficult, we tend to think, well, boy, look at all this. Where's God? That... Listen, it is inevitable that storms, troubles, problems, heartaches, and difficulties, they all are coming. It's coming. But that doesn't mean Jesus isn't there. In this world, you will have trouble. But never fear, I have overcome the world. He's with us. He's always with us. They needed to be confident even in the storm that Jesus saw them, that Jesus would come to them, that Jesus cared about them. That is so incredibly important for us to know. In another storm event, they actually asked him, Jesus, you're sleeping on a pillow. Don't you even care? Many times we're tempted to say, well, don't you even care? Well, Jesus saw them. Jesus came to them. Jesus cared about them. He always cares about us. He cares about us. Cast all your cares on him because why? Because he, he cares for you. In another parallel passage in Mark, listen to these words. Now, when the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Verse 48, Mark 6, and he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. Very strong. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. We're talking post 3 a.m. He came to them walking on the sea and he would have passed by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out. That didn't mean they called for him to come. They cried out in fear for they all saw him and were very troubled. But immediately he talked with them and he said to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. 
Then he went up into the boat with them and the wind ceased. You see, Jesus is always there in our storms, but do we recognize him? Are we looking for him? Do we expect him? Or do we think he's failed us because there is a storm? Storms were inevitable ever since the Garden of Eden and sin entered the world. Once sin entered the world, thorns grew, problems came, the earth hardened, gaining your livelihood is going to be more difficult. Storms were inevitable since Genesis chapter 3. And it's going to happen. Now watch this. Last week we learned that God can use us as he used a little boy. This week, we need to make sure we learn that God will prepare us to use us. He will. He is going to prepare us. We'd like to avoid it. We wish it was easier, but he does prepare us. Three quick thoughts. Let me give them to you and I'm done. Storms can break us. Storms can break us. You mean break us down so that we can't do anything? Nope. Storms can break us of the habit of self-reliance. Storms can break us from the habit of self-reliance. The Matthew passage says, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And he cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, what? Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You see, Jesus sent those men out there to learn a valuable lesson. They could not accomplish anything without him. He's going to say that in in John chapter 15. They needed him now. They need him. They needed him in the past. They need him now, and they're going to need him in the future. And I just want to tell you, we love to hear the wonderful stories of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and trusting him to be their savior. But the salvation event is not the whole of Christianity. It's the doorway to step into a new life. And in that new life, there's a lot coming. There's so much that we need to understand. And here's the first thought under that. Your rowing is going to get you nowhere. You see, Jesus saw them. They were in the middle of this place three or four miles out and they're rowing and it's in the middle of the, you know, it's in the, it's in the middle of night and they're out there rowing and they're not getting anywhere. They're just rowing and rowing and rowing. The wind can't put the sail up, turn the boat over, but they got to row and they're working and they're working. So the first thing is to understand our own personal rowing at points, at times in our life and in certain storms, our rowing is not going to get us anywhere. You can hard, you can work as hard as you want and not accomplish what the Lord wants you to accomplish in life. When Peter was walking on the water, which is this same story told in the other passages, Peter says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come walk to to you. Wow, it's wonderful. How wonderful that he stepped out of the boat and what faith he, he exemplified, but he failed when he took his eyes off Jesus. Jesus is the strength we need in the storms of life. He says it again, without me, you can do Nothing. Your rowing will get you nowhere. You can't fix it. Boy, we love that in America. You know, self-sufficient, pull up your bootstraps, put your back to it, you know, put your mind to it, lean into what's happening. Just, just figure it. There are certain things in life. There are certain situations you're not going to figure out by yourself. Jesus wants us to learn something from that. God, I'm, I'm stuck here. I need your help. In the storm, The storms, the troubles are intended to show you the end of yourself. They're not here to hurt you. They're here to show you the end of yourself. The task in front of these disciples of carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth is going to be met with incredible opposition and persecution. They needed to know that on their own, in their own strength, without him, they could do nothing. 
And then something else I want to mention is you can get better from the storms in your life or you can get bitter from the storms in your life. Get better or get bitter, which is we all got storms, but are the storms going to make us better? Are we going to understand that God's preparing us, equipping us, making us, or are we just going to get bitter from it? You know, God's more interested in our holiness than he is our happiness. You're not really ever going to be happy until you are holy in Jesus. So important. God's more interested in our character than he is our comfort. He put them out in that boat for character development. He put them out in that sea on a stormy night. He did that for, to build them. He's very interested in building our Christian character. Here's the second thought. Storms can break us and then storms can make us. You know it takes pressure to make a diamond. It takes fire to make steel and it takes trouble to bring triumph and it takes stress to give strength and endurance to our heart and soul. Somebody might ask, well, who causes these troubles? I don't know. So, Pastor, you get, I thought you were going to give us all the answers this morning. Where do all these troubles come from? Well, I know Jesus put them in the boat, sent them out in the middle, and the storm came. But I believe it was for a test. It was an exam. I'm calling it a midterm exam. But who causes our trouble? I don't know. The Bible gives some examples. Jonah. Jonah caused a storm in his life because he disobeyed. <laughs> He disobeyed and he faced a storm because of the disobedience. Our disobedience can get us into trouble. How many of you ever disobeyed and you know that God got a hold of you because you disobeyed? I've done that. You know what? Paul faced a storm because others disobeyed. Remember, he was on a boat. Gonna go to, they were going to take him to Rome. And when they, when they left the, the island, he told them, better not sail right now. The, the Spirit of God has told me we're going to lose the ship and that our, all of our lives are going to be in danger. They didn't listen to the word he said. They disobeyed the word from God. And you know what? We as believers can be caught up in the disobedience of others. And I can't help but think that that happens today. Others around us, I think in America, a lot of us are getting caught up in the disobedience of a nation as a whole. But listen to this. I can't help but think of this. Um, these folks that were in the southeastern part of the United States in the state of Florida, I'm pretty sure there were believers and unbelievers in the storm that just blew through called Ian. How many of you believe that? How many believe that? You see, God can take care of us in the storm, but he didn't make them avoid the storm. Storms are inevitable. Paul faced a storm because others disobeyed. And then disciples faced a storm specifically because they obeyed. Whoa. You remember, Jesus put them in the boat, sent them across the lake, and they faced the storm specifically because they did exactly what he said. <laughs> How about that? They were followers of Jesus. They'd done what he said, get in the boat, cross over, wait on me on the other side. You know, if we're living in obedience to the command and call of God in our life, we will encounter trouble, storms, and opposition in some really hard situations. That's, it's inevitable in our life. You know, if you go through life as a believer and it's just smooth sailing all the time and there's never, there's never opposition, there's never re resistance, there's never, nothing ever happens. But you just gotta wonder, are you living for Jesus? Are you claiming him? Do you own the name of Jesus in your life? If we don't own the name of Jesus and we just go through with go with the flow, never go, never go upstream, well, there's just never gonna be any opposition because it's inevitable in life we are going to face problems. Never assume that people are going to clap for you when you choose to follow Jesus. The world's not going to clap for you, give you applause. In fact, what is more likely is, is that 
We shouldn't be surprised because uh, many are going to oppose us specifically because we choose to follow Jesus. You know, those are talking about what causes our trouble. How about this? You're in charge of, you are in charge of your reaction to the trouble in your life. You are in charge of your reaction. Sometimes we make things happen in our life that cause us trouble, but quite often our whole situation has to do with reacting to what is happening in us and around us and what's happening to us. I got several little things there that I want to give you rapid fire. And the first one is, if sin, if your own sin, if your disobedience and the choices that you make, knowing the will of the, he that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. In other words, if we know what we're supposed to do and we disobey God, and if sin causes your storm, if sin has got you in trouble, point one, always repent. Boy, repentance has just gotten absent in Christianity. Repent. Repentance is required at, point, at the point of salvation and repentance is required in our daily encounter with sin in our life. I did it and I'm changing. I'm changing my mind and I'm changing my action. I'm not going down that road again. Repentance. Then if Satan causes the problems in your life, resist. What does the Bible say? Resist Satan and he will what? Do you know why a lot of Christians and a lot of people in general just never, they never can get beyond a lot of temptation? It's because they don't even put up any resistance. Resist him, resist him with your heart, your soul, your dedication to the Lord with the word of God. And then if others cause the storms that are in your life, forgive. Forgive, don't get bitter, don't get mad, don't get even, forgive. And then finally, if Jesus has sent you into this storm, and remember, he's always behind everything because he's sovereign. If Jesus is sending you into this storm, then relax because you're in good hands, amen? You know, you're in good hands if you're in a storm with Jesus. <laughs> I can't, the other storm story where Jesus is on the pillow, and they said, the storm's raging and they're rowing and, and, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care this and the other? And he says, didn't I say we were going to the other side? If I'm, tell, if, I'm in your, if I'm in the boat with you, you're going to the, we're going to get where we're going. It's going to happen. Storms are, storms are inevitable. They're going to happen. And what should you really do if you're, in a, if you're in the boat with Jesus and things are really getting rough? Well, if you see Jesus lay down for a nap, find your own pillow. Why? Because if, if Jesus is with you, he has undertaken this event in your life and he wants to just look up from his sleep and see if you're trusting. God is in charge of the outcome. And what's he doing? He's doing something for his glory and he's doing something for our good. Isaiah 38, 17 says this, surely it was for my benefit. I, I never saw this until this week. I, I don't know why I don't pay attention. Isaiah 38, 17, Isaiah speaking with all the things going on and all the trouble and the heartache. He says, surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. It was for my good. Wow. Romans 8, 28, we all know that one. We know that all things work together for the good. For those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. So here's, here's the deal. Your trouble, your trouble's doing some things. It's getting your attention. How many of you really do perk up when trouble comes? I mean, it all of a sudden, you know, the lackadaisical, you know, Pollyanna attitude kind of goes out the door when trouble comes. And all of a sudden, you get real serious about prayer. 
<laughs> real serious about Bible reading. Yeah, you, you reach out to please pray. We do that. You see, uh, troubles get our attention. Then your trouble is doing something. It's making you depend on God. Second Corinthians 1.8, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, Paul speaking, that we were burdened beyond measure above our strength so that we despaired even of our life. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. Why? That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He says, we were despairing of life. We thought it was all over. We, but you know what? God was doing this so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who does what? Raises the dead. Whoa. Your trouble is purifying your life. First Peter 1, 7. I can't expound on that one. And your trouble is preparing you for the future. We don't even read it this way, but we got to understand the scriptures. Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Watch this. Who comforts us in all of our tribulation or trouble. He's there. Why? That. Boy, those words, so that and that in the scripture, so important. He comforts us in all of our troubles, all of our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. A person gone through cancer and, and is able to go through it with Jesus is able to comfort somebody getting ready to go through all of that better than anyone on the planet. Sufferers are able to comfort sufferers better than anyone. What God's doing in your life, through your life, to you in your life is preparing you for what he wants to do with your life. Suffering's part of it. Let your troubles shape and strengthen you. Your troubles are going to do more to make you strong and to help you serve God than any 10 seminars you can go to. Your troubles are going to prepare you in ways that smooth sailing never could. In smooth sailing, we get distracted and we lose the goal. I walked a mile with pleasure and she chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. And then I walked a mile with sorrow, not a word she said, but all the things I learned from sorrow when sorrow walked with me. God uses chisels and he uses sledgehammers and he uses jackhammers and he's not going to get, he's not going to quit until he makes us ready, until he makes us who he wants us to be. I think sometimes we think this Christianity thing is a big game and it's a situation where we have a heavenly Santa Claus to give us what we want or we have a heavenly doctor to make us just heal us with them all the time or we have this heavenly psychologist to just make us feel good about ourselves or we have this, we, we just have this picture that God's job, the Christian experience is for God to just be there to make life wonderful. Life is wonderful. But I want to tell you something. God is there because he is God. He's the sovereign of the universe. He made everything. And one day he sent his son into the world and his name was Jesus. And he says, I love you this much. And he stretched out on a cross and died for our sins to give us eternal life. And with that, he is teaching us not to spoil ourselves, but to trust him, serve him, live for him. He died for us. I still got this little ring on. He died for me. I'm supposed to live for him. Amen. So important. 
So what to do when the storms come, not if. Remember to thank God for his presence in the storm. Look for him. He's there. He sees us. He cares. He's present and he's doing something. Remember to ask God for his power. Lean on him in the storm. He can start it and he can stop it. God can get you through the storm and build you at the same time. I heard of a farmer that was digging a ditch, got tired and went to lunch. And over lunch, his horse fell in the big hole. And while the horse was in the hole and when he got out there, all he could see was the horse's head. And so what else can I do? may have told this story before, but I love it. Yeah, all he could do was just bury him. What you gonna do? The horse is in a hole, can't pick him up, nobody around to help me. So he just starts throwing the dirt in and throws it on his back. This is so cool. And every time he threw a shovel full on his back, the horse shook it off and pretty soon he's standing on everything. It was, and pretty soon the, he turned around and looked and the horse was up knee high in the ditch and he was able to lead him out. You stand on your problems. God is doing something with the problems in your life and you, you build on what God's doing in your life. Don't crunch under when God's doing something in your life and assume that he's not working. God's always working. Amen. He's always working. Remember to trust God's plan. Don't, don't stay at the dock when God says cross the lake. We'll never experience the glorious presence and power of God in our life if we just, if we just play safe. Now, before we quit, I got to make these last couple of observations. All the passages said that they had to receive him in their boat. He didn't come walking on the water and say, all right, move over, get out of the way, I'm coming. No, no, no. Even one passage in Mark says he was going to call walk right, right by them. They had to receive him in their boat. Do you really want, do you really want Jesus in your boat? Are you afraid where he might take you, how big the storms might get? Do you really want him? I love it. When he passed by them and they said, don't fear, it is I. It is literally the same words that we're gonna begin seeing over and over in John. It's the words, I am. I am what you need in this storm. That's what he's teaching them. You know what he's teaching me? What he's teaching you in the troubles and problems and heartaches and they're inevitable. It's not if, but when we need Jesus. The second miracle is this, in that verse 21, it says, once Jesus was in their boat, they were immediately at their destination. You want to get things straightened out in your life real quick? Invite Jesus in. Give it all to him. Give it all to him. That doesn't mean your hurt goes away immediately, but the sense of it comes immediately. Where God's sending you, you arrive much more quickly once you invite him in once you recognize his presence. Maybe you're here and you never even invited him in your life at all. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus at the first point, the step of salvation. Maybe you don't know him as Savior, Lord, the one who died for you and forgives you of your sins. If you don't know him, you need to call on him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Somebody here would say, Pastor Phil, I've never taken the first step. I don't even know Jesus as my Savior. I don't, I've never asked him to save me from my sin. If you're here and you're like that, would you, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Phil, pray for me. I, I need Jesus to save me from my sin today. I need, I need to have him in my life. I need to know him. I don't want to face life without him. I'm not saved. Pastor Phil, would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand? Nobody's looking at me, please. I'll just pray for you. 
Father, it seems that these are people who know you. God, I pray that because they know you, that they would not be uh, shocked and amazed at life's problems, hurts, and heartaches. But I pray that they would trust you, look for you in the storm, believe that you're there. And I pray, Father, that they would trust you. I pray that I would trust you. I pray, Father, that our reflex action to trouble is to look to see just where Jesus is in it and trust you. Help us to trust you and obey you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.